Balance Right, a podcast for creative entrepreneurs and agency owners looking to grow their business in a healthy, sustainable way. I'm Heather Zeitzwolf, CPA. I serve this community with coaching, profit advising, and virtual CFO services. Please join me as I talk with leaders in digital media, branding, advertising, design, marketing, and SEO. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Get the Balance Right podcast. My guest today is a really cool woman. She's as cool as her last name, Erin Longmoon. Isn't that just an awesome name, Longmoon? I almost wonder if it's made up, but it can't. I don't think so. No, I I forgot to ask her, but it's just awesome. Longmoon. Wow. She's from Zephyr Recruiting. She has this mission in life to eradicate toxic workplaces. Oh, God. She believes that everyone deserves to love their job and feel like they are contributing to a greater purpose. She accomplishes this mission by matching great small businesses with their right fit employees. We will learn all about that today and her love of the Dalai Lama and Stevie Nicks. Okay, enjoy the show. Hi, Erin. I am so excited to have you on the Get the Balance Right podcast. Thanks so much for being a guest. Hi, I am so excited to be here. Can you tell the audience a little bit about yourself and how you got into job recruiting? Yeah, absolutely. It was actually sort of unexpected. And I feel in looking at hindsight that I was more called to this work than I planned to be in this work. Started out uh, as an entrepreneur. I've owned five businesses. Entrepreneurship is not something that's new to me. I've always been a person who has said, well, you know, I need a job, so I'll just create one and then just go out and get clients and make it work. At one point, one of my other businesses uh, was to be a business coach because I had felt by that time, 20 plus years into entrepreneurship and also helping other uh, businesses as an employee to run their business that I had something to share with small business owners. So I created Sage Business Partners and I worked with small companies, usually 30 or less employees. So very, very small. And oftentimes we would get to a point where hiring someone was a necessity, whether it was their first hire or maybe their third, but you know, it, it always came to be that they needed somebody else to help with the workload. So I would take that on because my clients, you know, were working 80 hour weeks. They were already pulling their hair out, right? So that was not something that they were either had the aptitude for and certainly not the time. But I actually have an aptitude for it because in many of my previous roles, I had been the recruiter, you know, the in-house recruiter, whether I was an office manager or an admin, it would always fall on to me in my role. I started doing this recruiting thing for a lot of my clients. And then I just started getting more clients coming to me just asking for the recruiting and not needing or wanting business coaching. So uh, in 2017, I think it was, I read Mike Michalowicz's Pumpkin Plan Your Business or Pumpkin Plan. And I loved it. I just drank it up and I ended up hiring one of his coaches. And we decided after going through a number of the steps that I needed to just pivot and focus on the recruiting because that was both what I was good at and what small business owners really need help with. And there's no other resources in this same 
way for really small business owners. So Zephyr was born in November of 2017. Wow. To back up a little bit, because I'm so curious about you had five different businesses. Can you just tell me a little bit about what the first one was and maybe some of like, how did it work? Were you a kid? And what were your challenges? Yeah, you know, so I was about, when was my first one? I want to say I was in my mid-20s and I was actually in Seattle and I was, I love doing admin work and that's what I had been doing was administrative work. And I worked for a small nonprofit that unfortunately ended up closing some of their regional offices. So I found myself without work and it was kind of like in the 90s with the dot-com bust and things. So, you know, it wasn't a robust job market at the time. I decided, this was actually pretty cutting edge, I have to say at the time, looking back, I decided to be an admin uh, for a variety of small businesses. And I focused on massage practitioners and acupuncturists and naturopaths and people in that holistic healing space because it was an interest of mine. So I would go into their offices and kind of be an admin for hire for just a few hours a week because that's all they really needed. So it was sort of like the virtual assistant model long before virtual assistants were, you know, had ever even been a concept. I called the company Able Admins and it was just me. So even though it had a plural, it was just me at the time. And then um, I, you know, that was my first foray into entrepreneurship. I'm sure many of your listeners who are entrepreneurs know that uh, there's a big learning curve to figuring out how to bring in clients and create a stable income. And I just didn't know how to do that then. So eventually I ended up getting a full-time job. The funny story is I had a business coach through SCORE at the time. And his wife loved the idea so much of Able Admins that he asked me permission for her to just sort of take the idea and run with it. And she built it into like this big administrate, you know, some kind of like admin for hire kind of service uh, a couple years later. So I was really happy that she turned it into something big because it, I think it deserved that. Now, I know that you have a passion for eradicating toxic workplaces. Explain what that is and what do you define as a toxic workplace? Uh, for me, if you get to me, I mean, there's so many layers to what a toxic workplace can be or what it can look like. But to me, when you get all the way down to the base, like definition for me, it's when people don't feel safe and it can be on any level. It can definitely be, you know, physical, right? It can be physical, but it can also be psychological. It could be something as simple as someone doesn't feel safe to share their ideas, It could be a place where, you know, it's not safe to physically be alone in an office with someone, right? Like it can just be very broad. But if there is a sense of not feeling safe and you can't be who you are when you show up to work, then I consider that toxic. And some people, you know, sometimes the level is very low and it's with a lot of employees or even employers would consider not that bad, you know, so they tolerate it for years and years, but, you know, so there are varying degrees. And then there's others where it's just so bad that, you know, people have to leave like right away. That's sort of how I define toxic workplaces. And one of the reasons why, like I told you earlier, I kind of felt, I I was more called to this work. After I've pivoted, I started realizing and looking back and reflecting on my own employment history, realized that I had a pattern of attracting myself to toxic workplaces over and over and over and over again, right? Like just, it seemed like I never had great leadership or even in some cases, great colleagues. I started realizing, you know, something about the pattern made me realize the connection between that and then this new company Zephyr that I all of a sudden found myself owning 
as a connection and a part of my calling. Like this is more my life's purpose work is to help small, especially at the small business level, eradicate toxic workplaces. Wow. Okay. I was thinking toxic workplaces would be like something like office politics. Define that also as toxic? I would. And again, if you kind of break away the layers of that, it still comes down to safety to me. It's like, I don't feel safe because I have to be cured. You know, I have to watch my back or the office politics. If someone's going to throw me under the bus or someone's going to take my ideas or someone is going to just talk badly about me behind my back. I mean, all of that boils down to the sense of feeling safe when you go to work. But all the symptoms, it's like the symptom and the, you know, like if you look at medicine, right? Like you've got all the symptoms, but there's always, there's usually an underlying cause. So that's sort of how I look at it. Back in the eighties, I had a job. This was in New York. I was working in fashion and my boss, he was very terrorizing in the office and people were always scared when he was around. And it was a culture that he could say things like, what are you doing with the thumb up your ass? Like, right, right. Like when I knew that I was probably going to be laid off, I kind of called him out on all these things. I thought that that was pretty brave of me in the 80s because women just didn't do that type of thing to their male superiors. Have you noticed that this culture has kind of changed with the Me Too movement and that women are able to kind of speak up more for themselves? I sure hope so. I mean, you know, the kind of small businesses we work with uh, are a little bit different in the dynamic and the culture setup, but I'm certainly reading more articles about this and I'm seeing it in media a lot. And I'm really hoping that courage in general is something, right, that is a theme that is empowering right now. And I'm excited, you know, for all of us, women and men, that this is starting to shift. But I do think, going back to your story, I mean, that is really, really uncommon in the 80s. Uh, to have spoken up. And I know that that's true. And I do think it's, it's changed and it's changing. And, you know, women can do it in a variety of ways. You can call people out, but you can also try to find more productive ways to change things. Not that that's not productive, Heather, but you know what I mean? Like productive ways to try to work together to change it. I'm also seeing employers recognizing it more than they used to. There's a, I think, unfortunately, in the toxic workplace sort of topic, there's a lot of pointing of fingers you know, employers are complaining that they have crappy employees and employees are complaining that they have crappy leaders. And I think both are right. I think we're starting to maybe not point as many fingers, at least in the leadership side of things. And I'm seeing a lot more small business owners like investing in being better leaders. Now they have harassment laws. And so usually yeah. you have to go through some sort of harassment training now, which did not exist back in the 80s. This is Heather. Besides being a podcast host, I'm also a CPA and profit advisor. I help creative agencies grow in a sustainable manner. Right now, I'm offering a complimentary healthcare check of your business. So if you go down to the show notes, you'll see a link and you can sign up. All right, now back to the show. For entrepreneurs out there, how can they avoid having their workplace become toxic? Does it come from the top down, like leadership, management, or is it about finding the right employees? I mean, that's an excellent question. And I think the answer is that there's no definitive black and white answer. I think the truth is, is that it can come from a variety of places. So yes, it can be leadership. 
you know, all the way up to the owner. Yes, and it can come from employees. I've seen it come from both places. So there's, again, no real uh, definitive way that a place becomes toxic. You know, we believe strongly that, that bringing in the right employees makes a huge difference. But in and of itself, it's, it's not the full solution. If you already have a toxic workplace, bringing in the right people isn't always going to be the solution, especially if it is leadership, you know, if that's where it's coming from. So you have to identify where it's coming coming from in order to fix it. But absolutely, I mean, part of our approach and our, our whole mission and in eradicating toxic workplaces is by finding the right employees who have values fit, culture fit, and the skills and the aptitudes, all the things that you need, then you're going to have a better chance of it not being a toxic workplace. And then in terms of avoiding toxic workplace, this is a slightly bigger conversation. Um, But I think one of the things, so my story, going back to how I just kept finding myself in toxic workplaces, you know, in, in exploring that, I felt I'm the common denominator here. So what, you know, I can blame all the leaders and they certainly were not great leaders, right? Like the things that they were doing were real, but why did I keep attracting these jobs into my life? So I stepped back and I realized it was a part of my like life story. And I grew up as a latchkey kid and I hated that I was a latchkey kid. I was kind of a, I grew up as an only child and I wanted people around me and very social. So I was lonely and I hated it. So I blamed my my mother's employer in particular because of growing up in the era I grew up in as someone who stole my mother away from me, right? Like this is a little kid thinking like the bosses are awful because otherwise my mom would be here with me. So I didn't realize I was making that story up in my head as a kid at all. But I did then in reflection realize I went into the workplace believing that bosses were horrible people, period. End of, you know, it was black and white. They were horrible. There were no good bosses. So of course, when I'm believing that, you know, subconsciously trying to reinforce this belief that I have. So I think that in terms of avoiding toxic workplaces, like the real way is to go deep, you know, and to really look at our own stories and our own programming and our own philosophy around work, colleagues, bosses, anything related to work in order to really figure out what's making each person tick in that workplace. That's really fascinating. It's almost kind of like someone who has come from an abusive home keeps that cycle going in their life. Yes, exactly. It's, and it's no different. That's the thing about it, Heather. I think to me, it was a big aha moment when I realized we talk all about that, right? People of abusive histories or grew up with, I don't know, addicts as parents and things like that and how it affects patterns that we then take into our adulthood. But we never talk about how that affects us in work. And there's no way it can only affect one part of your life. It's going to affect every part of your life. So we have to open up that dialogue and that kind of discovery, you know, from the lens of being an employer or an employee as well as we do when we look at through, you know, our relationship lenses or, you know, other ways that those kinds of histories affect us. If a business owner starts to suspect that there's their workplace is becoming toxic, do you have any mm-hmm. tips on what they should do? Well, I think there's some analysis you have to do. So let's say you had a workplace that didn't feel toxic. It was great. It was healthy. Everybody was happy. People feel safe. You know, people are coming to work and they're engaged, all of those things. And then all of a sudden it's starting to shift. Well, let's find out why did somebody, did you bring on a new person who maybe isn't the right fit? If that's the case, fire, fire fast. Don't wait 
unfortunately, um, if it's if it's truly like a bad apple, right? But if it's maybe a current employee, something's changed in their life, you know, so maybe having some heart-to-heart, transparent conversations, trying to figure out where is this coming from? You have to find the source. It's again, like the medical analogy. You know, you can put Band-Aids on all day long, but if you don't go to the source, you can't really stop the bleeding, right? So you have to have some discovery and trying to figure out where is this coming from and why is it happening? And that means honest and open conversations. That always seems to help. And people, I think, are just sort of afraid a lot of times just kind of open up that dialogue. I've always felt that my bosses that I've liked the most have always had like an open door policy where you could just go in and talk with them. Yes. And I think that's huge from a leadership perspective because that's creating that sense of safety. It's safe to go and talk to them, right? Like that's what you felt. Mm-hmm. And that is huge in being able to resolve conflicts and being able to deal with challenges in the business as well as just HR and relationships and culture problems is to have that open space that everyone feels safe to bring up problems. And you're right. It's vulnerable. It's scary. And it means being vulnerable. And I have learned both as a leader and as watching other leaders that I admire that be, being vulnerable as a leader, so modeling that, so vitally important. When COVID happened and I had to talk to my team about how it was affecting our business, I mean, I cried. I cried in my meeting and I'm okay with that. And, you know, the thing is, is like, I'm now giving everyone permission to feel what they're really feeling. And that's okay because we can work through that. It's the hidden stuff that you can't work through, right? There's no, you got to shed the light in order to see. Hey there, this is Heather. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. And if you are, if you wouldn't mind, please hit the subscribe button now. That way you'll never miss an episode. All right, now back to the podcast. So I know you have a signature method called RightBit. Um, I'm sure you've heard the terms top talent and A players and things like that. And we have learned over time that, you know, it's very subjective. What a top, you know, a top talent or an A player is to one employer is going to look very different to another employer. And your A player might actually be really toxic in my workplace and vice versa. So it's so personal. So we've changed the terminology to what we call the right fit employee. It's right fit anything, right fit employer, right fit employee, right fit team. What we do with our clients, how we implement that idea is, well, we, we learn everything we can about our clients. And once we do that, we create a profile, like almost like your target client profile. We create your target employee profile. We call it the right fit employee profile. And then once we have that, then we can create the marketing strategy to reach them the way we write the job posts, where we look for them. It's like, now we have a really clear picture of who is going to work well in this, in this company. So then we go through the recruiting process through that lens from start to finish. People want to get a hold of you, maybe talk to you about this, learn more about you, where's the best place for them to look for you? Definitely our website. You know, that's where you'll learn the most and you can contact us directly through there. And that is at uh, www.zephyrrecruiting.com. And Zephyr is Z-E-P-H-Y are. And for those who don't know, it means a gentle breeze. Oh, it does. And the idea is that, you know, working with us makes recruiting and building your team easy. 
now that the workplace is kind of going virtual, whether people like it or not, can you kind of explain some of the new challenges that people that are not really familiar with the whole virtual world, what kind of challenges are they having right now? I think uh, what I see the most, I mean, there's some basics like technology and stuff, but those are pretty easy to work through. I think it's maintaining connection between the team members and with leadership. Um, because it takes a much more concerted, intentional effort. Whereas before we took so much for granted, just being able to, you know, pop into someone's office or cubicle and say hi, or go grab a cup of coffee or whatever. We can't do those things in the same way. Maintaining that connection and then, and then trying to interweave the culture and maintain the strength of the culture is probably the biggest challenge we're seeing. I'm going to assume that you hire people from all over the United States and place them where they need to go. Is that correct? Correct. Okay. So when you're going through this recruiting and then when employers starts to interview people and then they start doing the onboarding. So if they can't be face to face, take them to lunch, go through many different interviews, you know, with their team and all of that. How does that unfold now? I mean, I understand like Zoom is going to be used or something. Mm-hmm. What does that process look like now? You're right. I mean, video is going is the key. And we use video and have been using video prior to this uh, crisis that we're facing. And it's really, I mean, it's an incredibly effective tool. You know, we're able to see people and do those nonverbal cues and all the kinds of things that you get when you're in person. It's not as good. We all know that, but it's the next best thing. So definitely, no matter what, you need to be using video in that recruiting process. The other thing that we are recommending to clients is to not necessarily change too much of your process. So if you were doing team interviews or you were taking your team out to lunch with a potential, you know, hire, still do that. It just has to be done virtually. You know, you did a team lunch, buy everybody lunch, send send the candidate a, a Grubhub gift card or whatever, have everybody have lunch and, and make it casual and do it over Zoom. If it's a more formal team interview, then just continue to do that, you know, using Zoom. We highly recommend recording with permission. You have to get permission, but get the permission because that way too, you can go back and you can watch some things and, you know, remind yourself. And that also allows you to get in kind of enmeshed and engrossed in the interview and you don't have to be a studious note taker. You can really be present in that way. Those are some of the things, you know, that we're commending. I know with the creative industry, we also highly, and this is virtual or not virtual, but we still highly recommend that you have the candidate, especially a finalist, do some kind of creative project that represents the way that they work, the way they think, and it allows you to evaluate if they have the skills and the approach that you're looking for. So we still recommend that and maybe have them, you know, walk through it with you over video so they can explain and defend kind of a presentation type thing. And I love the idea of doing the, sending them the food delivery and, and having an actual lunch. Tip for people, don't get salad that's going to get caught in your teeth if they are. Ah, excellent thinking, Heather. I love it. Yes. <laughs> or like some major, huge, like, you know, sandwich. This is going to fall apart on your lap. Right. Those are good points. Yes. And going back to maintaining culture really quick, just do those things too. Buy your team lunch once in a while, get on Zoom and don't talk about business. Just have fun having lunch together. You know, that's, those kinds of things will help maintain that connection. Your bio, I have to ask you about this, <laughs> talks about your dream is to be the next Stevie Nicks and being friends with the Dalai Lama. Yeah. <laughs> what is the connection of these two and why? Yeah, it's a really good question. I don't know. I mean, when I was a kid, I thought, and I still do, I think Stevie Nicks is amazing. She's beautiful. She's creative. She has an incredibly unique voice that is just, I mean, I know people try to, 
you know, simulate her, but you just can't. She's just her. And I always loved, I felt at the time, and I don't know exactly why, but like she was really courageous to truly just be her truest self out on the stage. And it is who she seemed to be 24 seven. She's always wearing those flowy clothes and that long, gorgeous hair. And I really admired that. I also love her style, right? So it's not just her courageousness, but I was like, how do I get clothes like that? I don't know where she gets her clothes, but I, I want the same designer. I love to sing, but I have I have a very mediocre voice, very. I always kind of dreamt of if I could only, you know, sing like her, it would just bring beauty to the world. That's where that one came from. And then Dalai Lama, the sense of peace that that man has just walking through life is uh, aspirational for me. I would love to be that peaceful. So I kind of feel, well, for friends, maybe it'll rub off on me somehow. I'm like a firecracker, you know, I'm like going, going, going. And there's a part of me that just so admires his ability to just be still. Yeah. I'm not like that at all. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh, meditation. I don't have time for that. A delight having you on my podcast. Thank you so much for being a guest here today. Thank you. It has been so fun. I really love the dynamic that you bring as a host, and I think it's great. Thanks, Erin. Thank you. Hey, this is Heather. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. If you found value in the show, I'd really appreciate it if you gave me a rating on iTunes or just simply tell a friend about it. And if you're interested in learning more about my profit advising and coaching, please set up a discovery call by using the link in the show notes. All right. Thanks so much and see you next time.